kidding. So I, I do have a story for you this morning, and it's one of those disclaimers uh, based on true events. You know, I'm changing some names here. I'm, I'm changing the story a little bit. But I did experience this with people I actually personally know. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about the guy named Brian. Okay. So Brian and Amanda, they met in college. And Brian and Amanda were instantly smitten with each other. They just fell in love. They were like a perfect match. Everybody thought so. And after college, they decided they wanted to get married, naturally. And so Brian plans this huge event. He planned this huge engagement surprise for Amanda. He, he invited all of his family and her family. He hired a band. He reserved a restaurant. I mean, everything that you could do to make this moment special. So Amanda gets there, and he surprises her, and it goes great. It's awesome. It's like the highlight of her life up to this point. She says yes, because they are in love. So they are officially engaged to get married. So one day, Brian and his friend Jacob, who is single, by the way, they're just sitting there at his house chilling, and they're showing each other different girls on this dating app. And they keep going through the list, and they are showing each other these, these different girls, saying, hey, what do you think about this one? What do you think about this one? They're, they're looking for someone they might like. But little did Brian know that Amanda's best friend, Gabby, is on that dating app. So one day, as Gabby was scrolling through this dating app, looking for some different guys in her area, she sees Brian on the app, much to her surprise, because what is he doing here? He's engaged to my best friend. Why, why is he on this dating app? She confirms that this is a current account. And that he's still on the app. It's not like something he made years ago. Like, it's current. And she calls Amanda immediately. And tells her that Brian is on this dating app looking at other girls. So let's pause the story here for a second. Let's imagine you're Amanda. How do you feel when you get this news? That your fiancé is on a dating app looking for other girls in your area. Put them in the bin. <laughs> Put them in the bin. I would be mad. <laughs> Brittany, you should be. It's a violation of trust. How would you guys feel? Mad? Want to put them in the trash can maybe? Give them a swirly? <laughs> so overall... I'm guessing that we would be upset if we were Amanda, right? Just give me a nod if you would be upset if you were Amanda and you found out your fiancé was on a dating app. Some of you are nodding. Interesting. <laughs> I think we all would we'd have harsh feelings. The question is why? Why are we upset about Brian's behavior? After all, Brian's friend Jacob was also on this dating app looking for girls in his area. And we're not mad at him for being on the dating app. We're not mad at Gabby for being on the dating app. We're just mad at Brian. Why is Brian different? You can answer me. It's not rhetorical. He made a commitment. Yeah. He made a commitment. Exactly. He is in a committed relationship. He's going to get married to a girl. We get upset at Brian because he's looking for other girls even when he's planning on getting married. And the usual response to engagement, or at least I hope so, the usual response to engagement is that you stop looking for other relationships, right? 
You, you stop. You stop being. Ex or uh, you, oh, what am I? What is the word I'm looking for? Exclusive and inclusive. Those aren't the words. You stop being available. Thank you, Brenda. <laughs> but two heads are better than one. You want to come up here and preach with me for the rest? <laughs> I've heard you. You've said some pretty smart things before. So, you stop being available, right, when you get engaged. And the reason you do that is because of the future reality of your life, the trajectory of your life. You're going to go get married to a person which is supposed to be a mutually exclusive union between two people. And so, you stop looking for other relationships because you're saying, I'm committing to this relationship. And I know we all would be hurt if we found out that our potential spouse or our fiancé were looking into other relationships. And it makes the hurt worse because of the commitment. Because of the realization of the future reality is changes how we think we should act. And, and this happens all the time. The future modifies how we act and the decisions that we make every single day. For example, you know at some point in your life you're going to have to stop quitting or you're going to choose to quit working, excuse me, and you're going to have to, or stop working, and so you save up for retirement, right? So your actions are determined by your future. Let's say, for example, you want to go on a big vacation. So maybe a few months out, you go on a diet to get a little bit more prepared for that beach trip. Let's say you're going to go buy a new car next week. You're not going to put new tires on your old junkie car the week before you get a new car, right? It just makes sense that the things that are going to happen in the future determine what we are going to be doing today. And the list is endless because all of our actions incorporate some kind of something into the future. It could be 10 seconds, like the prompt I'm giving you right now is setting you up for something that's going to happen in a couple seconds. Or it could be years, decades, lifetime out. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the kingdom of God. And there's no bigger future event, nothing more important in your life than the coming of the kingdom that can affect how you live today. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at how the future reality of the kingdom retroactively comes back into our time. The future reality comes back and changes how we're supposed to live. Second Peter, I think, does a good job of talking about this. So if you would, please turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3 this morning. It's near the back of your Bible, somewhere between Hebrews and Revelation. If you've gotten to the Johns, you've gone too far. So 2 Peter, chapter 3. Now, in this chapter, in this section, Peter is writing to his readers to remind them of the correct attitude. To remind them of the correct state of mind and the right outlook about their thinking, the very thing that we are looking at this morning. How should we act? How should we look? How should we think? So let's go ahead and read the first couple of verses from our list here. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I put a one in front of the three. It's just supposed to be three through 15. I apologize. So we're going to look at verses three and four to start out here. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, 
Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So Peter is setting the scene here for a particular situation. He's talking about the last days. And the last days are just another term, the biblical phrase for meaning when the kingdom comes, the end of this age, the last days. And during this time, Peter warns us that people will come and they will mock Christians, they will mock those who believe in Jesus' return, using the logic that as long as everyone can remember, nothing has ever changed. Jesus hasn't come back yet. The sun keeps rising, the seasons keep going on, Nothing has changed since the beginning of time, which is fair enough. I mean, the sun comes up pretty consistently. For all of recorded history, the sun has come up and the seasons have continued. And then they apply this argument. They take this argument and they say, look, nothing has changed. The kingdom of God's not going to come. The future is not going to come. And the mockers are making this point that Jesus isn't really coming back. And Peter says this against that thought. Verses 3 through 5. For when they maintain this, when they argue this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word... The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter here is referring to what story in the Old Testament? What is he talking about? He's talking about Noah, right? So, if you recall, the people in the days of Noah were comfortable. They They were living the way that they wanted to live. It was very sinful, but they were comfortable in it. And God had to do something about this massive amount of sin. So he saved Noah and his family, and he covered the earth in a lot of water. A lot of water. God did, if you're into computers, God just did a hard system reset, right? He just, he's like, oh, let's, let's, this got messed up. Let's just take everything back to factory setting, Okay. So Peter here is reminding his readers that those people in Noah's time also thought that everything was never going to change. They said, look, God has never punished. He's never destroyed the world before. Everything is the same for generations. As far back as we can remember, the world world has carried on in the exact same way. Much to their surprise that God acted. God changed the world around them, and by the time they realized what was going on, it was too late. Peter is saying, don't get comfortable and don't think you know it all. Don't get comfortable and don't think you know it all. Peter wants us to realize that God has made promises. His word. It is by his word that Noah experienced the flood. It is by his word that this world was created in the first place. And it's by his word that this current age is being reserved for judgment and that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The same word that created the universe 
The same word that brought Noah's flood is the same word that is going to cleanse this world with fire and make everything new again. And God is going to reset everything again, just like in the day of Noah, right? He's going to take it back to factory settings, but this time he's doing a software update. All right. He's changing the operating system. He's going to make sure that no more death or sin is in his creation. Right? Peter knows, however, that sometimes, because we're human, Peter knows that sometimes, even though we know something, it doesn't actually change what we do. (laughs) Right? We make bad decisions all the time with full knowledge of what we're doing. So he reminds us to make the right decisions. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. Just so we're clear, Peter says it one more time. Do not let this fact escape your notice. Pay attention. Listen up. Beloved, which is a nice way of saying child or someone you care about, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Peter, once again, is saying, don't get comfortable. You may think it's taking a long time, but to God is only a moment. God, God doesn't view time the same way that we do. He's saying a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God, God is somehow able to see time in a different way. We, we don't have to understand it, but that's the truth. So to God, time is irrelevant. And just because it doesn't seem like God is acting today or it doesn't seem like he's acted in the last decade or thousand years, Peter is reminding us that at any point, this can change. Just like in the days of Noah. They thought it was all the same until one day the raindrop hit them on the nose, right? And then everything changed. So even if it may seem slow to us, God has his timing. And in the next couple of verses, Peter is teaching us something that really hits home to what we're talking about today, which is how we should be living. Look at verse 10 with me. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's talking about this end time where Jesus is going to come back. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Let's just stop there for a second. Peter asks a really good question. Since we know that the things of this world aren't permanent, and that God is coming to judge all those who have not committed their lives to his son, how are we supposed to live today? What kind of people are we supposed to be? And it's just like the story of Brian and Amanda. Brian was engaged And so certain behavior was expected of him. And in the same way, the kingdom is coming. And you're committed to it. So a certain behavior is expected of you too. So I'm going to ask you again. If God is going to judge the world, if the material things of this world are going to be destroyed, and it's going to be unexpected like a thief, how are we supposed to live today? 
How does this knowledge of the future affect what we do? Luckily, we are not left to our own speculation. Peter goes on to tell us exactly what he thinks about the issue. Let's keep reading. I'll start in verse 11 again. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and good godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the God, of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. That's the third time he's talked about the earth being destroyed with fire. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's saying we ought to be holy and godly people. If we know the kingdom is coming, we ought to be the people who reflect that kingdom today. Just like Brian, who is going to be married, ought to reflect that same behavior today, even though he's not married yet. He needs to be exclusive in his relationship. We need to be godly and we need to be righteous because that new heaven and new earth is going to be where righteousness dwells. Peter is calling us to be sinless. And I know we're going to mess up, but that's what we're striving for. And the spirit in our lives is that future kingdom coming back and filling our hearts and changing who we are. And we participate in this kingdom today by telling people about it. We participate in the future kingdom by sharing the truth of the kingdom and what Jesus has done, his sacrifice. Knowing that the kingdom is coming makes sharing the kingdom very important because God says here that he's going to judge those who are not saved. And it's our job to tell them. So over the last two weeks, we've looked at the promises that God has made to us. Right? We looked in Daniel. We looked all the way back in Genesis. We looked in Revelation 21, where we get the vision of New Jerusalem, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And because we know these things, we know what God has spoken through his word, we know the reality of the future we're going to be living in, we need to be found in peace. We need to be found striving to live a righteous life. We need to leave our sin behind. We need to be found spotless and blameless. And in the meantime, we need to tell people about God and Jesus. And there's going to be a right time. We also need to realize this. There's going to be a right time that God is going to say, all right, son, go back. It's time to set things straight. That time is coming, like the flood of Noah. We're not going to be expecting it, but it's going to be very obvious when it starts. (laughs) It's going to be very obvious. So let's apply this to you. What do you make of what Peter says in this chapter? What, what should we be thinking? First of all, I think the question you have to answer is, do you believe in the promises that God has made? And if you can't say yes to this question, then the rest of everything that I've said this morning is meaningless. If you don't commit to that, if you don't believe that God is going to destroy this earth with fire, 
make a new heaven and a new earth where everything's going to be perfect, we can't move forward from there. You have to come to that decision first. If you truly believe what God says, then we can move forward. If you believe that the future kingdom is a reality, then it should change how you live. Like the example we have this morning of Brian. If Brian really does plan on getting married, it should change how he lives today. But if he's not planning on getting married, if he doesn't think he's going to be in this committed relationship, why not be on the dating app looking for relationships, right? So my question is, are you committed? Are you committed to God's kingdom? And I'm talking about a commitment that's on par with marriage. Maybe even a greater commitment than marriage. Something you're willing to bet your life on. Are you willing to bet your life on the, on the truth of the kingdom? Because if you are, then you better be living like you are. Which calls us to number two. The coming kingdom demands, demands that we live differently. If God really is coming to judge the earth and fire, if he's really going to make everything new, we have to live differently. That's just the truth of it. We need to let Jesus' righteousness come in and radically change our hearts and our minds. We need to love good. We need to hate evil. We need to stray away from our sin and instead seek to do the will of our Father. If we're dinking around with this world, if we're trying to get as much of this age as possible while disregarding the commands of God, we're like Brian, who is searching for another relationship while saying he's committed. In our hypothetical scenario, or I guess one based off a real story, we can point the finger at Brian, right? We can say he's definitely in the wrong. <laughs> we, we, it's pretty obvious. But it's much more difficult for us to look at our lives and to see our faults. Are we cheating on God? Like the God's at War series in Sunday school, is there something else occupying your heart? Do we have one foot in this world trying to gain as much as possible while also saying to God, I totally believe in you and I believe that you're coming to change this world? Are we trying to stay in both camps? We can't serve two masters. I think you guys realize that. And I guess the third thing that really sticks out to me is are you prepared to share this message? Peter tells us that we need to be hastening the day of the Lord. Well, how do you do that? How do you look forward to and try to bring about this kingdom? Well, you do it through evangelism. You do it through telling people about God and his plans. And it's important to note, there's a difference between evangelism and changing someone's behavior, right? It's not our job to do behavior modification, right? We're not in this, like, oh, you need to stop sinning, you need to stop doing this, you do need to do this. Here, let me take 10% of your income, get over here, you know, Start dressing this way. Stop doing these things. That's not our job. Our job is to tell everybody about what's coming. Right? To tell them of the future. To tell them of who Jesus is and what he's done for this world. And then it's God who does the changing. We just do the talking. All right? Simple enough. We all love to talk. I've talked to all of you. I know for a fact you can talk. We do the talking. God does the changing. So we have officially come to the last message in our kingdom series. 
However, I promise, without a doubt, I will talk about this again and again and again and again and again because it is the foundational pillar of Christian belief. It is so important to what we do here because it is our hope. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is called our hope and it's also called the gospel. It's called the good news. The kingdom of God is the representation of everything that God is planning for this age. It incorporates Jesus' sacrifice, the forgiveness of sin, the daily effort of living righteously, the coming day of judgment, and the next age of eternal life, where everything that's wrong with this world is going to be made right. It incorporates everything that God is doing. So let's take this future reality and let's embrace it with joy. Let it impact us and change us so that we can live differently, so that we can be a holy people, so that we can walk around as light in this world, showing people what God is doing because it is amazing and it is good. I want us to be that kind of church, a church that God can be proud of. Let's pray. God, I thank you for showing us the reality of your kingdom. I just pray that you help us live in accordance with what you're doing every single day, every moment. Let the kingdom be on our hearts and minds and show us the opportunities that we have to share that message with the others. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.